please pay attention to this. It's not spoken by God and, and given to us through the ages to destroy humanity. But it is, it is it's to graciously educate humanity toward salvation. That's the purpose of that. It's not meant to destroy anything but the bonds of sin. It's meant to liberate you from the lie that this world promotes. God's truth destroys the sinfully indulgent social structures of a fallen mankind, and it points to his way. The question I asked in the beginning of tonight's lesson was, does truth exist? What is the answer, ladies and gentlemen? This answer must be embraced if we are to promote the principles, doctrines, and expectations of God in this word, in his word. Truth is real. It is not a concept created by a patriarchal system to opp oppress anyone. We are being surrounded by the lies of those entities who wish to marginalize the very reality of God. Let me articulate to you the obvious threat associated with this. If the truth of God can be called into question in a society, then his word will eventually be removed from the collective consciousness of that society. I want you to think about that. If the truth of the reality of God can be called into question in that society, then his word and this church and this experience will be undermined and eradicated if that's allowed to happen. I have here some statistics. I, I like them. I like statistics. Okay? I don't like these. All right? I want you to think about what I just said. Okay? 50% of the United States, or only less than 50%, less than 50% of the United States is sure that God exists. All right? 34% of Americans never attend any church. This is the highest in the 50 years of recorded history that they've been recording these, these statistics. 29% of this country claim no religion at all. And it's interesting to me, the last statistic, it says 75% of people, however, believe that there's life after death. So what lie have they believed? If, if less than 50% Dave, don't believe that God exists, where are they going? What lie have they believed? At what point did the truth of God be removed from their life? Those who initiated the attenuation or weakening of godly truth are going to be emboldened by the silence of the true followers of Christ. They will use this silence as a point of justification to further suppress biblical principles and doctrine. Your and my, our silence matters when we're faced with an assault on truth. We are given an explicit warning of the deceptive forces that are at war with truth in Paul's writing to the Colossians. It says this, Colossians chapter 2, verse 8. 
It says, Beware, lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of this world, and not after Christ. The NIV, I like the NIV, the way it says the very beginning. It says, See, it, uh, see to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy. This admonition to vigilance is situated before one of the most definitive verses of Christ, of Jesus' divinity. For in him dwelleth all the fullest of the Godhead bodily. It's a beautiful scripture. It goes on to say you are complete in him. But before it says you are complete in him and declares his divinity, it says, see that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy. Why is that? Because it's important. It's important. Who do you listen to on a daily basis? Who do we allow into our hearts and into our minds, into our homes on a daily basis? We must settle in our lives the transcendent truth of God. It must be established within us because we do not face a passive encroachment, grace. We face rather an active suppression and an active assault. Paul wrote in Romans of the active efforts of those who desire to suppress truth in that ancient world. He said in Romans chapter 1, I'm going to read from verse 18 through verse 25. Let's begin at 18. It says, The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness, not by their shrewdness. There's a boldness to the suppression of truth in this country. It is done by an explosion of wickedness and evil. The normalization of aberrant behavior in our current culture is done by design. It's done to replace God's truth with something that not only deceives and destroys, but is ultimately offensive to our precious Lord. It's not enough that Satan causes you to be lost. He wants you to offend and, and hurt God in the efforts. The efforts of those who are hostile to Jesus target our youth. I take that real personal since I have three kids. And one day, I will have grandkids. Right? Yeah. They target a, our youth. Small children are now exposed to destructive ideologies and perversions as early as kindergarten. Think about that. This is done to infect them with the concept that deviant lifestyles are normal and should not only be tolerated, but celebrated. Children's television programming has become a tool to inoculate their young minds against the wholesomeness of God's plan and principles. Their young, tender minds are now the theater of battle between God and the destructive forces of Satan. Our opposition does not marginalize through the simple introduction of alternatives to God, 
but actively and stridently tries to eradicate the truth of God by a frantic increase in sin's indulgences. They want to saturate our society with a toleration of horrific sins. Romans 1, chapter 19, uh, verse 19 says, Since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them, there's no excuse. For since the creation, verse 20, since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. There is no attempt, in my opinion, to my knowledge, by God to cloak his identity from humanity. The Lord let us know he was real from the very beginning. One of the resources that I use for the purposes of study said this in reference to that scripture. It says, God has revealed himself through his creation so that everyone can understand that he exists and that he has created the world and man with a purpose. goes on to say, God created man with an inner sense that there is something bigger out there, something that transcends mankind. That something is God, and he requires recognition. The created world, it goes on to say, points us to God, but we suppress that truth, preferring to put ourselves in the place of God, and in effect saying, there is no God but me. There is no God but me. Paul further, further says, because the revelation is so clear, we have no excuse for, for missing it, no legitimate reason for our blindness. People who do not see it are guilty of not acknowledging the most basic reality there is. And I agree. God has declared his truth from the very beginning. Verse 21, Paul goes on to say, For although they knew God, although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. They knew God, but they chose to believe something else. They searched for alternatives to God. Within fallen man, within fallen man there has been a spiteful antagonism toward the truth of God. This cannot be attributed to ignorance, as Paul said, but rather to a willful rejection of his truth because that truth is inconvenient for the lifestyles that want to be lived. Verse 22, although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of God, the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being, birds and animals and reptiles. Verse 24, therefore God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. In my opinion, in my opinion, rejection or the exchange of the truth of God for the imagination of man follows a very common pattern. First, it begins with an apathy, an apathy, an indifference toward that which is holy. 
and that initial rejection of the truth of God's existence and his ultimate sovereignty. It begins with an indifference. begins with apathy. And then it begins with that first initial rejection. The validity of the word is questioned. Then it is undermined. Next, there is the introduction of a man-made alternative that approximates God, but is modeled from the corrupt minds of humanity. The replacement will allow for, or at the very least, not condemn man's sinful indulgence. Then, finally, there is the eventual degradation that becomes manifest in that culture. Those who still hold the line of godly truth are marginalized and vilified. The extremes of sin and depravity are explored, then incorporated into that society's new, stru new structure. If you look at the progression of this in human societies, that is what it follows. Verse 25, they exchange the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Amen. That last verse, such a warning. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator. You see, in, in this scenario, I just outlined the manipulation and eventual overt rejection of God's truth is followed by something being, being installed in God's place. We have to notice that. We have to see that. You have the rejection of God, but the installation of an alternative. Objective truth does not fall without the eventual plan to replace it. I believe that there is an innate compulsion within us. I believe it was designed within us to worship. Of course, though, I believe it was designed in us to worship God. You see in verse 25 that, that there was that exchange of truth for a lie. But this, this isn't simply an, uh, an intellectual exercise. It wasn't just, well, we're not going to believe in God. We'll just believe in some alternative. We'll believe in some alternative. That lie is forged into an alternative to God then it is elevated to a place of worship. The lie becomes part of that person or that society's foundation. That is the purpose of the replacement. Because of this, the people begin that inexorable drift away from authentic truth. A new trajectory is established. One that has, this is what's so important, and we have to understand this, one that has damaged the very concept of truth so that, it is, so that its retrieval is more and more difficult. The purpose is to undermine the very concept of truth. So that retrieving godly truth is more difficult in the future. We return to our beginning text. I'm about to close. If we return to our beginning text, we read that Jesus said, You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. He said this to a group of, of Jews in that ancient society. He followed that by saying something else a few chapters later. He said in chapter, uh, John chapter 14, verse 6, 
He said, Jesus said unto them, I am the way, I am the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There is a tremendous value, ladies and gentlemen, in knowing the truth. There is something we must realize. Our knowledge and acknowledgement of truth does not bring it into existence. Truth stands independently. It stands regardless of its acceptance or its rejection. You can walk away from truth. That's not going to diminish the truth. Provides, this provides for a stability, this truth provides for a stability and a hope that cannot be fabricated by humanity because God's truth isn't dependent upon man's verification to exist. Jesus said that the truth shall set you free. It is because he is that truth. But we must also understand the context into which our Lord spoke that truth. He was speaking this truth to those who needed to hear it, but who were the ones who would be the most resistant to that truth. They needed to hear it, but they would be the most resistant. It comes down to this. We must do more than simply know the truth. We must do more than simply know the truth. We must be bold in its proclamation, Grace. We have to tell somebody. When you're confronted with a lie, I know it's going to be uncomfortable. I know you may be marginalized. I know you may be hated. You may lose some friends. You may lose some family members. They may not want you at their house anymore. But we cannot be silent in the face of a lie. We are vessels of God's Spirit and must not be intimidated into silence by the vigor and vitriol of the adversaries of godly truth. There must remain in this world those who stand against the perversion of God's message and the abandonment of this beautiful word. Paul reminded Timothy of his responsibility to truth and the eventual abandonment of that truth for messages that are more convenient. He said this, he said, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and teaching. He's speaking of a vigilance in dissemination of truth. He goes on to say in verse 3 in, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers and they will turn their ears away from truth and be turned aside to fables. But you, but you, Timothy, you be watchful in all things, endure afflictions. Be watchful because the, the assault is ever-present. Endure afflictions because they're going to come if you speak truth. Do the work of an evangelist. Get out there and tell somebody the truth. Fulfill your ministry. Do what God purposed you to do. We are surrounded, ladies and gentlemen, by systems and ideologies that are at war with those truths that are the brick and mortar of sound doctrine and godly principle. 
So I ask you finally tonight, does truth exist? Does truth exist? Yes. Does it matter? Thank you, Owen. Does it matter? The obvious answer is yes. But who does it matter to? That is a question that we're going to have to all answer for ourselves. So, we have established, I hope, that objective truth does indeed exist, and we must see what our responsibilities are to resist the lies that we are faced with and to speak this truth to the powers that we're surrounded with. Let's pray one more time. Lord, we love and appreciate you tonight. We're thankful for your word. Lord, we are thankful for, for the word that gives life and structure and hope and redemption and salvation. We're thankful for your presence that we feel in this place. Lord, we're thankful if we're a little uncomfortable with what the Word teaches us and tells us. We're thankful for that discomfort because it means we're listening. Lord, I pray that you touch each and every person here. Let them become dynamic in the dissemination of truth. In your precious and holy name we pray. Everybody say amen. God bless you. Have a good night.